Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where we're getting a little bit of rain here this week in the great Pacific Northwest. Uh, in fact, I, I, I imagine it's going to get to be time to start checking the tide tables if you're driving from Florence to Eugene to see whether you can get past Cushman or not. But we have, I tell you, it's been, you know, last week, you know, I knew we were going to have a board meeting. It's a short board meeting, didn't have a big agenda. So I wasn't expecting there to be a lot of topics to talk about this week. And, oh, my gosh, you know, it's like finish the show, Russia invades the Ukraine. There's a State of the Union speech. Our legislature's in session, putting, you know, moving forward some pretty crazy stuff. You know, from, you know, you can't pull somebody over for, you know, having a taillight out uh, to uh, a bill that would actually use working taxpayers' money to pay for lawyers for illegal aliens that have been charged with a felony to help them, uh, specifically immigration lawyers, for these illegal alien felons to help them, you know, fight and stay in the country and not be deported. Think about the logic around that. You know, how do you get to doing that and taking a legal citizen's hard-earned tax money and turn around and provide legal counsel to somebody who's broken the law to even be present in our country, and then has actually committed a felony on top of that. Don't know where the Democrat majority gets their 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 logic there, but I digress. So much to talk to about today on the show, and uh, just you know, want to real quick remind folks we are a call-in show, and uh, you know, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. It's one of the reasons why I do this show. It's one of the reasons why I throw the post up on some of the community pages uh, around uh, Facebook, you know, like, you know, some of the Florence and, you know, Fern Ridge and Benita and Junction City pages, because I want folks to know that every Wednesday at four o'clock, you have an opportunity to call 646-721-9887 and press one so it raises your hand on our, on our board, because um, some people call in to listen. Um, but, you know, if you call that number, you can talk to your county commissioner if you live in those communities. 
why I post to those sites. You know, and I do know that I, I put stuff up there at times that, that is kind of political commentary. So, so, you know, some people are worried, you know, I'm kind of pushing the edge of whether it's, it's informational or not. But the main reason I put them up there is it's got a link to this show. So you can go and listen through the blog talk radio page. But you can also, um, you know, call in anytime you want um, and get me live on the air with an audience and ask me questions about Lane County or anything else for that matter. Or if you just want to call in and change the subject and talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. But I got a whole list of topics for today. It was it. There's more to talk about than I could possibly get to in a single show. <laughs> and I just have to laugh a little bit um, before we get serious. I put a post up on Facebook that had a picture of one of my gas, my most recent gas receipts. And this was, you know, barely after the invasion started. So prices have, have probably gone up more since. And it was $91 to fill my my Ford. Uh, up at on at regular with a ten cent discount from Fred Meyer, um, and you know, kind of said, you know, said, how long will it be before they require a credit check before you can fill your tank? <laughs> and and it was it generated all sorts of wild comments. Probably didn't help that I put "Let's go Brandon" on the on the end of that post. Um, which I still don't understand why people get so upset about that, unless somebody puts FJB or something near it. The actual phrase, let's go, Brandon, is not vulgar in the least. And it's mocking the idiot news uh, sports reporter that chose to completely ignore a vulgar yet, you know, political protest from the crowd and try and turn it into something that wasn't. And the use of that phrase is basically mocking how the media does stuff like that. And, and it's, it's satire, mockery, and comedy wrapped into understanding that people that say that usually aren't too happy with the current administration. That generated a lot of discussion using that phrase who's to blame for gas prices, presidents don't control gas prices, all that good stuff. So it's like, all right, I took the post private just because some of the commenting back and forth was getting rather vile and and not productive. Uh, And I put up a post of my cat. Because because gas receipts seem to be controversial, here's a post of my cat. (laughs) It's getting more attention than, than the dang gas receipt one was because half people are commenting about what their gas receipts are looking like. <laughs> the other half are, are making jokes about how they're offended by the, by my cat picture. <laughs> like the cat, in, you know, sitting on a window ledge and there's a vase next to it. The cat could knock that vase off and break and then cut himself on the vase. And how could I, you know, not have safety in mind and, you know, and, it, and my cat's a tuxedo cat, which is black with a white chest. And somebody said, why didn't I put black cats matter on my post? <laughs> oh, gosh. 
social media. <laughs> How crazy can it get sometimes? Ah, but it's 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 it can be fun. It can be frustrating. But in this case, I think that that my my cat picture is 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 a fun little post. Um, so if you go to my personal Facebook page, which is just Jay Bozovich, you, you know, you can probably, you know, it's a public picture. You can probably see it and like it if you want. Um, <laughs> but, but the picture of my gas receipts no longer up there. I didn't even put it on my commissioner page. It was just my personal page because it was a personal commentary on, on, you know, kind of yikes when you go to fill the tank. It starts coming close to a hundred bucks. And I still had a quarter of a tank, in, you know, left in my, in my vehicle. That was only three quarters of a tank fill up. Ouch. Uh, speaking of gas prices, it's one of the topics I do want to get to today because, you know, that did generate a lot of discussion, but I'm also, you know, we got a lot of commentary during public comment at our Board of Commissioners meeting this week about our upcoming phase two climate action plan. And we got the most of the commentary came from, well, two of them specifically were from the Beyond Toxics, uh, you know, environmental group. And a couple of, you know, one of them was from, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the organization because it was one I hadn't heard of before. Um, it was the Interfaith Earth Keepers. And a few other you know organizations like that about how we weren't going far enough with our our new climate action plan and how we really you know need to be a lot firmer about electrification and no new natural gas infrastructure and and you know they're talking about how you know gas is actually going to cost more and and all that it's like okay Pacific Power just put in for almost a 10% rate increase today, you know, yesterday. Um, I went back and looked at the U.S. Um, average per kilowatt hour, and this doesn't include the, the regular fees and all that that don't change every month, you know, your meter fee and all that crud that's on your electric bill. This is just your usage portion of your electric bill. Went up 7.6% from December 2020 to December 2021. Now, now we're talking about another 10% increase for Pacific Power. Who knows what else? So it's like, it's not like electric prices aren't going up too. And why are electric prices going up? Well, Pacific Power is saying part of it's to try and, you know, to do more work to prevent forest fires, which, you know, means they're going to have to cut vegetation, which is something else the Greenies had protested in the past. And now, we, now that we're having forest fires because of it, it, it's kind of whiplash for the electric companies. You know, for a while there, they couldn't cut some of the vegetation they wanted to cut because people thought they were cutting too much. Now it's like we're not, they're not cutting enough, so they've got to reaccelerate vegetation management plans. But also it's about control systems that um, shut power down quickly when there's red flag warnings uh, and being able to flip a switch and change the settings in your distribution system to do that. Um, so there's a lot of other costs there. 
But a big piece of the cost is they got to buy electricity off, you know, in the market. And we keep shutting down generation facilities in this country in the name of climate change and environmentalism. And uh, we are seeing a destabilization of our grid. And I've talked about this in the past. We're now at about an 8% chance of a blackout in Pacific Northwest. As they, quote, decarbonize the grid, it's predicted in the next nine years by 2030, we're going to be at a one-third chance of a blackout in the Northwest region. See, even Louis makes Louis upset. Um, <laughs> you know, at any time. And, you know, just consider, think about, you know, traffic signals and oxygen machines and, you know, dialysis, whatever else. You know, some of it's got generator backup. Yeah, that's great if you're where you have generator backup. But, you know, having power go out is not a great thing in a society that depends on electricity and technology. Um, so we're, we're pushing our grid towards total instability right now. And uh, it's not a good thing. But we're going to put more stuff on the grid and take stuff off of natural gas, <laughs> which is probably going to make us have to use more natural gas generation. And I've explained the inefficiencies in that, how it actually creates more carbon, not less. But, yes, that's, gas prices are on everybody's mind right now because um, that. It, that's the easy place to focus. And in fact, oil was up over $110 a barrel today. Let that sink in a little bit. It was like in the 40s and 50s not too long ago. Think about what that's going to mean at the pump in another few weeks because pump prices have to reflect what it's going to take to refill the storage tanks. They're not based on you know, the current cost of, of oil so much as what it is going to be in the future. So, uh, yeah, hold on. You know, some bad things are coming when it comes to gas prices. Some bad things are coming for electric prices. And, of course, everything has energy built into its pricing. There's nothing you buy as a consumer that doesn't have energy costs built into the price. And one of the things that's been absolutely crazy inflationary-wise over the last couple years uh, has been food. And when you think about food, everything about the food, you know, from the field to your table has energy involved in it. it takes food to plow the field and, you know, clear the field. It takes food to put the seeds down in the field. It takes takes fuel, uh, sorry, to, to, to do that. It takes energy to do that and it takes energy to make fertilizer for that food you put in the ground you know seed you put in the ground then you got to transport you know got to harvest the product that takes fuel to harvest the project got to transport the product to processing plant processing plant takes energy then you go from the processing plant to the grocery store more energy storage in the grocery store more energy you know everything about it to, you know, checking out has got energy in the price of that food. 
So as we do things that drive, you know, energy prices up, and this is even before Ukraine, it's bad news for inflation. Secondary thing driving inflation is federal spending. And, and that has to do with printing money. When we pass $1.2 trillion spending bills and $2 trillion ARPA bills and whatever else it is they pass, they have to print the money more or less. It may be electronic money, but they're increasing the money supply in order to spend that money in the, in the economy and get the goods and services that those huge federal spending bills call for. What does that do? It drives our deficit up, which, which, which is pressure on interest rates, because, you know, in order to get people to want to buy our debt, we have to pay them more interest if we're going to have a lot more debt than we had before. And in addition, that increase in our money supply, total number of dollars out in the world, has a, a deflationary pressure on the actual value of a single dollar. If there's more of them, they're worth less. Makes sense? So you throw a lot of, of dollars out into the market, and suddenly they don't buy as much. Federal fiscal policy matters when it comes to inflation. We are starting to see the impacts of that. That's why we have the highest inflation before the Ukraine war, the highest inflation rate in 40 years. It's only going to get worse with Ukraine because we're putting a huge disturbance in two major commodities. Actually, three, if you want it. natural gas, oil, and wheat. One of the things a lot of people don't realize is Russia and Ukraine are major producers of grain. And uh, we're going to see a scramble for people to look for other places to make up for what they were buying from Russia and Ukraine. Because they're not going to be readily available markets anymore. So... If you thought the price of bread was expensive before, it's going to get even more expensive. And because people are having to look for other places than Russian oil and, and natural gas to, to, you know, the amount of natural gas and oil being used in the world is not going to drastically change, although it will to some degree just because people will conserve based on price to a certain degree but that doesn't have as large enough impact to offset the inflationary pressure that's going to be caused by this war. So fascinating stuff. So what's the president, you know, proposing in all this, you know, we got to bring our manufacturing back on shore, do things in America and all that stuff. And, and, you know, this chip shortage thing and everything, we ought to produce them here. And then he proposes raising corporate income taxes because they're not paying their fair share because that's how he's going to pay for the spending portions of what he proposed during his State of the Union speech, which was about more huge federal spending. You know, federal provision of child care and pre-K and you name it, he was proposing it. 
federally mandated minimum wages, all of it was going to create more inflation and actually manufacturing outside of the U.S. You know, a lot of it came back after the the corporate tax cut put in place by the Trump administration. We were getting companies back. Because you know who pays corporate taxes? You and me. There's no one named corporation that writes a check to the federal government. You either pay through the price of the products that corporation sells, or you pay by the reduced stock value and dividends produced if you're if you're a stockholder in that corporation, or you pay as an employee of that corporation by decreased wages and, and in, you know, benefits to try and pay that additional tax burden to stay profitable. No unnamed corporation writes a check. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess they do write the check in their return, but, you know, where they get the money? Customers, stockholders, employees. It's the citizens of the U.S. So when you raise corporate taxes, you're raising taxes on us. That disconnect sometimes just is amazing to me. And international corporations, even domestic corporations, can move easily offshore with various things. I mean, we saw that here in Oregon. Um, remember the, the little photon keychain lights? That was originally a Oregon company right here in Lane County. Little tiny company that started called Laughing Rabbit that produced those and patented them and had the market for a while. Yeah, that little LED light that you push the button on, you know, a little black thing. Yeah, yeah, Laughing Rabbit right here in Oregon. Well, they were having those things assembled and paying piecemeal rates for having them assembled by housewives and, and elderly people and whatever out in rural Lane County near Triangle Lake. A lot of them were because that's where the, the the originators of the company were. And in comes our local state government and says, you can't be doing that. We're going to make it so you can't pay piecemeal, even though, you know, some people would, you know, were really making a good living at it by, you know, sitting down with no distractions and just producing like crazy. And some elderly people just, you know, it was a little extra income while they were watching Jeopardy, putting one together, putting another together. Well, you couldn't do that. And they forced them to, to pay an hourly wage. And you know what? Little laughing rabbit contracted with a manufacturer in China and started producing their photon lights out of China. So when you start making something expensive for a U.S. company to manufacture here, like a corporate income tax going higher, they'll find a way to move offshore, bring manufacturing into the U.S. with an increased corporate tax. (sighs) Deep breath. All this national stuff. Maybe we should focus a little closer at home. Do you know we get to take our mask off a whole week early? Yeah, the big announcement from Governor Karen Brown, 
um, that she's going to allow us to actually take our mask off a week early at midnight on March 11th so that effective March 12th, we don't have to wear our mask indoors anymore. They threw this sort of weird little caveat in there, and, you, and it's, devil's always in the details. You know, they, they did the same thing for schools, but they're still highly recommending people wearing masks. Now, if you're a school board dealing with unions, you know, that, that are worried that they you know, want their workers to, to still be able to, to wear masks and try and be considered, you know, to be working, you know, hazard pay and all that good stuff. And the state's still recommending that people wear masks. What do you think the pressure is going to be from your, from your unions on a school board? What do you think your attorney is going to tell you about, you know, removing your, your, your mask mandate in your local school system, knowing that the state is still highly recommending, you know, that you keep mask on? Are you going to be liable if somebody gets COVID after the date that you lift your mask mandate because they're going to point to the state's recommendation? Can you say soft mandate? Yeah, I think they're, you know, it's going to be really tricky to see. And and on top of that, they're telling school districts that if they do lift their mask mandate, they're going to re-implement, um, you know, various requirements that don't allow tests for stay, 10-day quarantines for students or staff that have been exposed and all that, and basically make it really difficult to operate a school if you do remove your mask mandate. Is it, is it really being lifted? And what's fascinating is, you know, California and Washington, you know, came up with the same announcement. The thing that's interesting is I have friends that live in California and friends that travel to and from and Snowbird and all that stuff, and it's night and day between California and Oregon. California actually had lifted their mandate already. They were only requiring indoor masking for people that are unvaccinated, and they weren't requiring proof of vaccination. It was an honor system. So when you went to California, and I have friends that are all over California, a lot of the restaurants, stores, whatever else, most of the people were unmasked. In fact, the people that you know, this one person I know um, that's in the Palm Springs area was telling me the people they see masked are mostly young people that are choosing not to get the vaccine because, one, COVID's not as severe for young people as it is for older people, and two, it seems like some of the adverse vaccine reactions happen more to younger people. So you kind of, you can kind of understand that, and they were being honest and obeying the rules voluntarily and wearing a mask because they weren't vaccinated. An honor system. Oh, my God, trusting people. Trusting people. Oh, how could government do that? They made it sound like California still had a full-on mask mandate like Oregon's, which, by the way, was one of the last states to have a full-on mask mandate. Um, And they lift, you know, California's even lifting that 
masking restriction for the unvaccinated, the voluntary mask restriction for the unvaccinated on March 12th. It's not quite the same thing as Oregon. And in addition, Oregon's kind of got these soft mandate things they're pushing. No longer could you do test to stay if you're a school district and you lift the mask mandate. And you have to sit there and ponder the risk around lifting your masking in your place of business or your school system, while at the same time, the state's still highly recommending wearing a mask. Be an interesting court case, but you know, that's, that's the way things go here in Oregon as we get a little bit closer down to, to local stuff. And you know, I'll remind folks that anytime they want to call in at 646-721-9887, don't forget to press one so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the Bose Nose show here and talk rather than just calling in to listen like some people do. So I have to get a little bit local here for a minute. I talked about this a couple shows ago. Um, there's a process in the state of Oregon under statutes where we have to review elected official salaries at a certain time period, um, you know, at least every two years, some, some of them annually. And it has to be done in a specific process according to statute. We, as the Board of Commissioners, have to appoint a elected officials compensation board. And currently, our, our elected officials compensation board is made, made up of a bunch of HR directors, basically, from both public and private sector um, HR departments. So it's, they're pretty you know, intelligent, smart people that understand compensation. So they kind of go out and they, they do compensation studies and look at comparative salaries uh, for various elected officials positions. That board puts together a recommendation, and that recommendation has to go to the Budget Committee first. Well, the Budget Committee, um, Robin, you want to jump in for a sec? No, I have a question. Oh, you have a question? Go ahead. Yes, my son's in Eugene Rehabilitation Center because he's dying, and tomorrow they get off the 95 mask thing, and can go to the little blue ones. And what I'm wondering is, are they going to be able to get out of the mask completely? If they're in a medical facility, that's the one place that they left the mask mandate in place. And if that's considered a medical facility, they'll it's still have to. a medical to... facility. Yeah, I know. It's I have to wear a mask to go to my physical therapist. I injured my shoulder a couple of months ago, and I'm doing PT for it. Okay. I'm still going to have to wear that mask after March 12th if I go for PT with a bunch of healthy physical therapists. <laughs> I was just hoping I could get closer to my son, so I was just curious. Yeah. No, I think they're going to still make you wear a mask because that's probably considered a health care setting, and there's the mask mandate staying for that. It's just the, the indoor for businesses and schools is being lifted. Thank you. You're welcome. So getting back on my train of thought, so the elected officials compensation board, that by the way, that was Robin's sister that stepped in a room and asked questions. <laughs> the elected officials compensation board 
makes that recommendation to the budget committee. Under statute, budget committee has to make the recommendation to the board of commissioners. Budget committee can choose to move forward all the recommendations, change the recommendations, do whatever they want. You know, not move them forward, deny them, vote against them. And the budget committee is made up of the five commissioners and five citizens appointed by one by each commissioner. And Don Leslie, who is now running for my position, is Heather Buck's appointee. So in that process, the elected officials compensation board had recommended raises for all the elected officials, including commissioners, significant ones. Um, and you can kind of justify the assessor, the DA, and the sheriff because they have skills they're required to have, have to perform those duties and, and certifications that they have to have, like a DA's got to be an attorney. <laughs> The, the sheriff has to have all these various law enforcement certifications in order to be to, to stand for election for sheriff. Um, you know, the assessor's got to be able to, you know, has to have all that tax and, and assessment knowledge. Um, you know, and our justice of the peace has to be able to run a courtroom. Um, and those are transferable skills. You can get a job, you know, a, a sheriff can be a chief of police for a city. They can be a captain or high-ranking officer in OSP. You know that that's a transferable skill. You know, uh, easily uh, the DA obviously is somebody that's running a small law firm because the district attorney's office has probably got 30 employees in it. Um, you think about most law firms and probably 20 attorneys in that. Um, that's a pretty good-sized law firm. So that kind of skill set can make you big bucks in the private sector. And, you know, you could go and, and work for the attorney general's office of the state. It, you know, there are other places you can get employed with the same skill set. Not so much for commissioners, which is one of the reasons why I've consistently voted against commissioners' pay raises. You know, every time it's come up, whether it was in budget committee or whether it was at the board level, I've voted no. Because commissioners can't, yes, there are skills we need to do our job. Yeah, we gotta be able to listen, we gotta be able to understand what we're voting on, although you know, I wouldn't say that's even required. As long as you can get elected, you can be a commissioner. There's no prerequisite other than citizenship and residency in your district here in, in Lane County. Um, very little. You can't take the skills you've learned as being a commissioner and go and get a job as a commissioner in any other county. I can't just say, oh, you know what? The commissioners in Washington County are paid much more than they are here in Lane County. I'm going to apply for that commissioner job and, and, and move and get a raise. You can't do it. A sheriff could, could probably apply for a job in the sheriff's department up there, maybe as the chief deputy or something, and maybe get a raise. Could probably apply for a job with OSP and get a raise, or apply for a chief police appointment from a city, a city manager to a larger city and get a raise. But a commissioner can't apply for another commissioner spot and get a raise. 
So the comparables that they come up with to try and justify commissioner's raises are meaningless. Just because Washington County overpays their commissioners doesn't mean Lane County should. It's public service. All that said, so you understand the process, year, our elected officials, compensation board made recommendations to the budget committee to increase the wages of all those elected officials, including the commissioners. We voted to move forward and recommend approval of the other elected officials' positions. And the only thing we were left to do on the uh, budget committee was to talk about commissioners. Well, no one was making a motion, so there were some discussions about whether you know commissioners deserve a raise or not. And then finally, Commissioner Trigger made a motion to give commissioners 2% COLAs over the next couple years. And one of the other um, citizen budget committee members seconded the motion. So now we had a motion on the floor to that would cause an increase in the commissioner's salaries and to recommend that to the Board of Commissioners. That vote required six votes to pass. There were only seven people in attendance in that meeting. It's a, a weird little quirk of, of budget committee rules that's part, also a statutory thing. It has to be a majority of the overall budget committee, not just who's present. So with only seven people there, it was going to have to have you know, pretty close to, you know, full support. Well, Commissioner Pat Farr and I voted against the motion and it failed. But Commissioner Lori Trieger, Commissioner Heather Buck, Commissioner Joe Burney, and candidate Don Leslie all voted in the affirmative with the other citizen member. 5-2 vote, but it failed due to the lack of getting six votes. They still voted for a motion that would have increased commissioner's salaries or recommended an increase for commissioner's salaries. Now, I kind of call that supporting increasing commissioner's salaries. I, you know, I don't know how you get around that that wasn't a motion that would have, you know, not, you know, it was recommending an increase. Isn't that supporting increasing salaries? Now, last weekend, Candidate Dawn Leslie had an event in Mapleton where she stood outside in frigid weather on Saturday morning in a, you know, a couple little pop-up tents and talked to citizens that wanted to meet her. Well, I was told by somebody that spoke with her that when they brought up the issue that I had said, you know, talked about on my radio show about increasing uh, commissioner's salary, she vehemently denied to that person which, by the way, one of her friends videotaped, um, that she had ever supported raising commissioners' salaries. It's on tape. She actually chaired the meeting as vice chair of the budget committee. And her votes actually on video, she had to raise her hand because she couldn't figure out how to do the hand raise thing in the Zoom meeting. So, I could hardly believe that. Then on Tuesday, when we're going through voting for these various recommendations, we, they came up to the board level on Tuesday. And of course, we approved the ones that were recommended by the budget committee because those 
folks like the DA deserve that increase. We had a brief discussion about commissioner salaries in which Commissioner Joe Bernie made the statement that he's never supported increasing commissioner salaries. Again, we can go back to the videotape of both the budget committee meeting where he voted yes, 5-2 vote. He didn't say, hold it, I, I didn't vote yes. You know, he, it, it was announced the 5-2 vote, and he never objected or anything. And then there's the videotape of the board meeting where he talks about how he doesn't support the increasing commissioner salaries. Certainly glad everything's on video. But as you're, as you're starting to think about this upcoming election in May, just remember not only who voted to give commissioners additional raises, even if it's a COLA, it's still a raise. I don't care what you, how you label it, it's increasing the compensation of people that make $87,000 a year in base salary and over $100,000 a year when you count in benefits and car stipends and other things. Two percent increases in those salaries. All of you folks that are paying more at tax pumps and all that stuff, you know, would you want your county tax dollars going into sheriffs or commissioners' salaries? Um, I can't believe that one they voted yes on that, and then two, they went. Some of them went out and denied it. I mean, Heather, Joe, and Dawn all voted yes. They're all running for election right now. Two out of the three of them have denied they actually voted yes or are trying to obfuscate the fact that they voted yes. Factual, it's on videotape. People need to pay attention. Is that the kind of person you want as your county commissioner. At the same time last week, I, I just had to bring this up because this is something that kind of upset me. We started getting a bunch of emails about a bill on veterans remains claiming that Heather Buck and Joe Bernie had, had tried to kill the bill. And they had nothing to do with the bill at all. Hadn't talked with Senator Manning, I don't think. Um, and it came from a uh, email newsletter from a state rep from Curry County. And I kind of once I it took me a while to figure out why we were getting these these crazy emails all of a sudden. You know, we got a whole flurry of them telling us that we need to support this bill. And I found the newsletter that that actually said that they were trying to kill the bill because a lot of the emails were attacking Commissioner Bernie and Buck for um, trying to kill the bill. Um, and I you know, managed to talk to some folks at that are staffers up in, in the Marble Nut House up there in Salem. They got a hold of rep, Representative. He issued a retraction and apology that's the sort of thing that shouldn't happen. 
You know, I'm not going to go out there and go after somebody and make up a story. And I was really happy to see the representative retract his statements and apologize publicly to the commissioners. They didn't deserve that negative attention. And at least for the most part, it was people from Curry and Coos County that were emailing that are in the district of that state rep that mostly are on the, the, the uh, newsletter list. Um, but, you know, people shouldn't, shouldn't go on rumors, shouldn't throw stuff out on the Internet based on rumors. So I'm not going to come on and do the same thing. So what I'm telling you about this whole issue around voting for commissioners' salary increases, I'm doing it from a place of honesty. With documentation, even in this case, I'm not going to make up a story. That's such an important value to me that my integrity is the only thing I can give away and, and lose by not being honest. And, and I, I have a super high va- personal value on integrity, which is why it bothers me so much when somebody denies something that they did, especially when it's on videotape. But, you know, I've kind of beat that one up a little bit. Again, 646 646- 721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the Bo's Nose show. I'm trying to think there were a couple other things I wanted to get to today on the show. Um, you know, we talked about mask mandates. We've talked about um, everything from the State of the Union to uh, pay raises for commissioners. There's been an, an issue here in uh, West Lane I want to talk about a little bit. Because it's come up again, we had another fatality on Highway 126. Very sad. Um, you know, another center line crossing, which speaks to driver issues. Um, I, I, you know, I served on a Highway 1. Actually, I convened and then served on a Highway 126 and cha- actually chaired it task force I put together where we had state police there, ODOT there, we had representatives from, you know, Mapleton School District and uh, City of Bonita and, you know, various interested parties to all talk about how can we make, you know, because the stretch from Bonita to Mapleton is one of the most dangerous stretches of road in the country. And at that time, we had had 10 deaths in less than 12 months. Uh, and that was the impetus of starting that that effort back in, I think it was, 2013 or 14. Um, And we looked at years of crash data, fatal and serious injury crash data. And if almost 100%, it was like 95, 98% of the crashes that had fatal or serious injury involved were lane departures. The only reason people depart their lanes are too fast for the conditions on the road at the time, like they, you know, lose lose traction in the snow, ice, rain, you name it, or even on dry pavement, they're just going too damn fast for a curve. They're distracted. The idiot with their head down texting that crosses the center line or runs off the road, because some of these fatalities were just people that ran off the road and hit a tree, no other car involved. Or they were impaired. 
all of those things can be corrected with enforcement. There is more enforcement out there. We could deal with some of those behaviors because it's a driver behavior issue. You can't build the kind of safety into a road that will prevent somebody from texting. You can't build enough guardrail along the road to prevent somebody from crossing the center line when they're going too fast. Put rumble strips basically for almost the entire length of 126 in the center line so people at least are going to get a hint when they're not paying attention and they're starting to cross over. Doesn't stop it from happening completely. You know, there's just you, the cost to engineer safety into that road is so astronomical. The real issue is enforcement. And it's sad that, you know, our state police has been constantly cut back. It's their primary duty to maintain the safety of state roads, which this is. And their numbers have been cut back, cut back, cut back, and cut back. And they finally were brought up in the last biennium a little bit. Now they're having trouble hiring because, like everybody else, you know, you know we spent a whole year, you know, all cops are bastards, defund the police, whatever else. Who the heck wants to get into that career now? Um, you know, attempts to take away qualified immunity. Um, just it's yeah i don't blame people for not wanting to be a police officer but it's hurting us and we're seeing it in it, on highway 126 of course we don't have the rural patrol capacity to to pick up where state police can't so one of the issues that come up and and has been bandied about facebook a bit is why don't we have automated speed traps and and do that to try and lower people from from going too fast on Highway 126. Well, there's state law that says we can't do that is part of part of the reason why. Um, and it takes basically action by the state to give us permission to actually have that. And of course, that's a state road, so it actually would have to be the state doing it. The other issue about it is we already don't have enough officers to patrol with under current law, it has to be a, a law enforcement officer that reviews the videos and issues the citations. So you're going to, you know, if you put one of those machines out there and start radaring, you're going to see basically that um, people are going to, um, we're going to have to pull people off of patrol to sit in front of a computer. And then, of course, they're, they're, those ones that sit in front of the computer and decide to issue the citations are going to be the ones that have to appear in court. So, you know, you want to talk about, you know, which is better? I'd rather have more patrol officers than, than, than speed radar uh, and all that. But I know Robin loves this topic. So jump right in, Robin. <laughs> You know, yeah, I love this topic. Go to Portland and see how well that works. You know, these people that really want this love it until they're on the receiving end of one. Yeah. Well, I got 
I got a illegal right turn ticket in the state of Washington from one of those um, stoplight cameras. And I tell you, I, I wish I could have bought it, but you know, it's you know a photo thing. There, the place they had the no right turn on red sign was in a place you couldn't see it when you pulled up to the intersection. If you were looking, at, I was trying to find a gas station. I'd gotten off of I five. I was almost empty, coming back from SeaTac, and I made a right turn on red. Absolutely nobody coming. So I didn't endanger anybody, but I got a ticket for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was no, you know, being out of state and, and all that stuff. It's just like, you know, if it, a police officer would have never pulled me over. Exactly. I'll give you just a real quickie, then I'll let you get back to it. I was in Portland, and there's one of those speed bands. I know a lot about those the Oregon speed, um, automated speed ticket laws because, I, well, obviously I stay up on that type of stuff. The bands flashed me, and I turned around to go back. Fear, okay, you know, got flashed. I'm going to go back and talk to the guy. He was gone. Tried to do some research on it, whatever, couldn't find it. Then I spent the next two, three weeks, you know, sweating. Am I going to get a ticket or whatever? But uh, the law states, you know, he can only be there at certain places during certain times. It has to be well marked, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, at least with a police officer, you can talk to your accuser. You know, that's, if, a police, if, you're, if you're talking to a police officer, that's law enforcement. If you're getting flashed, that's revenue. I mean, yeah, in a sense, it's a deterrent, you know, blah, but, you know, automated. Yeah. Anyways, I'll let you get back to it. Yeah. I, I, I'd much prefer if we would prioritize our public safety systems. And I think we really need to change the conversation around law, local law enforcement. You know, it is so critical that, that we talk about, you know, the service these people provide and increasing the number of local law enforcement officers to do that kind of enforcement that changes driver behavior, you know, is such an important thing because they're also there for a thousand other things. You know, we really don't do traffic enforcement at, in Lane County with our deputies because they don't have the time to do it. The only time they write a ticket is when they roll up on an accident. And it's obvious there was a, a traffic infraction that goes along with the accident. <laughs> they don't, and, or there's some flagrant violation they witness, and it's worth pulling somebody over for that flagrant violation. They're too busy running from priority one call to priority one call because we have so little rural patrol. State police aren't much better. So we just need more enforcement capability to change that driver behavior. But the other thing is we just we got to change driver behaviors. People need to put the damn phones down for the half hour they're in the car. In fact, most of 126, you don't get very good signal anyway. So, yeah, it, it, there's a certain portion of it. Once you get past Walton, you know, that there's really no, no good service. Well, George, George Carlin had a really good idea. Yeah? Yeah, is that what you do is that you have stupid darts. And if somebody does something stupid, you just shoot the car with a stupid dart. After they collect a dozen or so, you pull them over. <laughs> 
Yeah, they had some kind of radio tag on them or something like that, so you could know when somebody's collected a bunch and track them down. <laughs> and you hand the stupid darts out to everybody, yeah. Uh, and it's basically, that's what the real safety issue of Highway 126 is. It, you know, it's a two-lane highway that has curves in it. They're well-marked. Most of them are well-marked. Um, you know, we've done everything we can to widen shoulders, you know, guardrails, you know, I was instrumental in getting money from the legislature to do that extra passing lane out there just west of Walton to do that straightening out of the curve uh, and new uh, retaining wall and guardrail there on the east side of Badger Mountain. Um, We've done, we've added some pull-offs along the way. There's more places to pull off the road because there's very little, few places to do that, um, which also benefits law enforcement. It's a place they can pull over and actually do some law enforcement if they had the patrol capabilities to. Um, you know, and we've gotten most almost the entire stretch of the road repaved, put in the rumble strips in the center line. Um, there's been some intersection improvements uh, on 126 between Benita and Eugene, um, but it's still a two-lane road which means there's traffic approaching each other. And if you're not paying attention, it can be a very bad day for somebody. Um, and it's, I, I, I can look at just about every accident report and it's driver error. I mean, I, I, you know, the one place I didn't see a lane departure, it was somebody ran a stop sign from a side street in front of somebody. Not lane. That's not a lane departure. That's like one of the few that isn't that caused a fatal. Actually, two fatals in that case. But it was the driver behavior of rolling through a stop sign and not looking that caused the accident. So, well, I'm starting to hear a little bit of music in the background, which means I've probably run this one into the ground for the day. We'll be back next week on the Bo's No Show at our usual time, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening and have a great week. <laughs>